Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. take this off now? My, oh yeah, that's good. Okay, my daughter informed me this morning that my head is way too large for my mask. It's nice to have kids that love you enough to be honest. Um, before we took our hiatus and we didn't meet for several months, we had rotations of people in place to help out with different uh, responsibilities during the course of the morning. We had a greeting schedule, set up for the chairs and uh, also people to help with announcements. All of that has kind of fallen apart over the last few months. Now that we're back together, if you would be interested in helping in any of those areas, if you were on one of those rotations before, uh, re-sign up again because it's all falling apart. And if you weren't, but you would like to be, we would love to have you participate. And the best way to do that, he's not here today, but if you guys would just, uh, I think Tuck's email is up there, either talk to Tucker or email him and let him know. Uh, it's actually quite easy. We have a rotation and we use an app called Planning Center that will auto-generate a reminder to you the week of your service so you'll, you don't have to remember or anything like that. And then in addition to what Cindy shared about our, our food pantry, uh, so every year since we began, so however many years we've been here now, 20 plus years, we do a Thanksgiving uh, outreach in addition to our regular weekly pantry where we provide Thanksgiving dinners for families in need in our community. So this, past, this year with everything has been so weird, I wasn't sure if we should do it, but uh, talking the last couple of weeks with Michael, our, our pantry manager, and with MSHA, we decided to go ahead. So if you would like to help out with that, there's two things you can do. The outreach itself this year, we do it on a Sunday right after church. So what we typically do is we'll go up after service, have lunch together. We usually get some pizza and then pack boxes and people come and get them. And that will be on the 22nd, which is the Sunday prior. Now I'm all back together. Good. Prior to Thanksgiving. Uh, So you can help that day. You can sign up to do that. You can also help by donating $16 in addition to your normal offering that will buy. We (laughs) In the past, we used to actually give people real turkeys, but I don't know if you've ever tried to store 35 turkeys, but it's not easy. So we, we found out that we can buy these little certificates that people can go to the store and buy a turkey with so much easier. Uh, so those are $16 a piece. You can pay for one of those. Most of the rest of the food that we use, so we have a few things. Our normal connection with Oregon Food Bank uh, it provides us some food. We have donations from grocery stores that help us. Christ the King uh, Lutheran here helps us every year uh, with, with some of the desserts. And then we have a couple local farmers we work with who are going to provide all the produce for us. So almost everything we need uh, is already taken care of except for the turkey. So you can help in that way. Uh, and that would be a, a tremendous blessing. And again, it, it, you could just write Thanksgiving, turkey, benevolence, whatever on your check. Drop that in the box in the back or g- use that to give in any of the normal ways you do. 35. 
Sorry, we're going to try to do 35 this year. That was, we just sort of tossed that number out there, but that's the, that's the total. So, uh, you know, pray for that and, and uh, sign up to help. It's really fun. It's a fun day if you guys want to come and help that day too. So, so with that, uh, we'll get into, jump into the message today. We have been in the gospel of Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth, but, but uh, we've been calling it the gospel of Ruth, and, and we'll talk about that a little more later again this morning. Uh, for several weeks now. Uh, just quick review. When we, when we left, the last, uh, last passage we looked at, uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi had returned to Bethlehem. They had originally left because of a famine. That famine now has ended, and they've gone back to Bethlehem. However, these two women are still in a place of need. Even though the famine itself is, o- is over, food's available. Uh, th- they are... Uh, they're, they're widows, they're without uh, jobs, any land, anything to provide, any, any provision for them, they're alone. And so uh, they're still in need, and they resorted to uh, 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 something called gleaning, which is where you can follow behind the farmers and sort of gather the leftovers, and they're gleaning. It's a means of provision that was allowed under the law. While she was gleaning, Ruth encounters... The, the gentleman who owns the field that she's gleaning in, his name is Boaz. And Boaz extends some very significant kindness to her. And we'll see again today that, that the kindness of God, as it's, uh, as it's given and exemplified through people, is really one of the themes of this book. Boaz is kind to Ruth in that he not only allows her to glean in his field, uh, which, is, which was the provision of the law. He would have uh, had to do that. But in addition, he invites her in, provides a meal for her, and then gives her extra grain above and beyond what she had gleaned to take home for her mother-in-law. And he promised, he says, come back, glean in my field. Don't go anywhere else. I'll make sure you're safe here. He promises her safety in his field. So that's kind of where we are. Uh, I want to begin today with a question. And, and my question is this. Boaz went way above and beyond, way above and beyond what was required by the law to provide for, for this family. Why did he do that? Why, why did he do that? The, the quickest response, the easy response, we can kind of go Hollywood and we can say, well, she was young and hot. That's the answer. Um, she was younger. I think the text indicates that. In terms of her relative beauty, we, we don't know. Uh, there's, no, there's no photographs of her available. Um, but I, I, I think there's something else here. And you have to dig a little bit. You have to kind of do some homework. But I think there's another reason. And uh, I want to go to Matthew chapter 1, to the New Testament, because I think one of the answers to the reason that Boaz was kind to Ruth is found in Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 is, of course the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers Judah and the the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, who we talked about this morning. There was no one named Trout, Elliot. Um, But Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. 
Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You might remember in Joshua, in the book of Joshua, Rahab was the sex worker, thank you very much, who uh, helped two spies that were sent out by Joshua. And she protected them and hid them and extended kindness to them. This is the passage there, and it's so interesting because the, the reciprocal kindness that we see in Ruth was also carried out here. After she hides these spies, she says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that it will spare the lives of my father, mother, my brother and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. So here, here is my thought on this. I have to ask myself if, while growing up, Boaz ever heard that story. And my guess is, yes, he did. I think that his mom talked to him about how she met the Lord. She talked to him about the day the spies came, and she protected them. And she taught him what it meant to share kindness with people in the name of God. And and that was what he was raised with, and so now he has this understanding of that's how it works in life, is you extend kindness to people, maybe people you don't know, maybe people that are different than you, maybe people that are just randomly brought your way by God, you show kindness to them because that's what his mom did and that's what he did. That brings us to where we are today, chapter 3. Chapter 3, if you've read ahead at all, gets a little dicey. So with that, our title this morning is God Works in Mysterious Ways. Let's go ahead and uh, pray real quick, and then we'll jump in. Father, thanks so much for today. Uh, just, it's just so good to, to be together in, in, in the midst of everything happening in our world, Lord. We are so grateful that uh, we have common ground in you, regardless of uh, any, any other differences we might have. We come together in the name of Jesus, and we're so blessed uh, just open your word to us and let it refresh our hearts today. Your name we pray. Amen. So I did title this morning's message, God Works in Mysterious Ways. Kind of a strange story, really, to be honest. Um, as provocative as the whole story is, I, I, I want to focus on the transformation that takes place in the lives of the people involved. Um, we see Naomi's story is interesting, and I, I said a few weeks ago in the beginning of this, of this series that it's really Naomi's story. She, she plays as central, if not more, a more central role than Ruth. And we see her at the beginning, uh, she's full. She's got uh, a family and, a, and, and property and a home and just all those things. And then she loses it all. Uh, we said she's a little bit like the female Job. She just loses everything. And she becomes embittered. She's this empty, bitter, brokenhearted person. And now gradually we see God beginning to work in her life and bring restoration. And then we have Ruth. And, and so Ruth was a young woman who got married, uh, but was barren. And so, so there was kind of a, a, you know, you know a, a, a happiness and a sadness happening in her life all at the same time. But then she too experiences loss and grief and sort of this brokenheartedness. And we see now she's beginning to be restored in the presence of God as well. So sometimes, you know, uh, we don't think this way I, I, in the life of the church as much, but in the world, people are kind of divided into the haves and the have-nots. You've ever heard that? Haves and the have-nots. Well, 
Naomi and Ruth were kind of have-nots. They, they, were, they lost everything they had. Uh, they were alone. They were widowed. They were, they were in, in a sense, destitute. And then we have Boaz. Now, Boaz is a have. Boaz is a guy. He's a wealthy landowner. He's got property. He's got fields. He's got hired hands. Uh, seemingly, kind of, has it all together, except, and this is the strange part uh, of the story, really, in my mind, is that he's alone. He's just by himself. And you, you realize, and something that struck me this week as I was thinking about it, is that wealth and possessions, financial security, as good as all of that is and everything that comes with it, it doesn't equate to happiness. It doesn't necessarily bring life. Uh, and, and I was thinking a little bit of just even in recent history, you know, how tragic it is sometimes when you, when you hear about a celebrity or so, someone that in, in, in our minds, you know, has it all, but then they take their own life. And I thought of Robin Williams or Chris Cornell or Anthony Bourdain. I used to love to watch Anthony Bourdain's travel show and he would go to different places and you know, I, I watched it all the time. And then uh, to hear that he took his own life, I was like, my gosh, that guy's got the best job on the planet. Uh, you know, he gets to go exotic places and eat cool food. Uh, just, it was so hard. But you realize that all of that, it doesn't add up. It, it, it's not the end game. Um, so with that in mind, I, I want to talk about providence for a second. Uh, the providence of God is providentia or Greek pronia means essentially foresight or making provision beforehand. So, so uh, Stanley Grenz is one of my favorite authors, kind of theologian guy. He says this, according to the Bible, God does not set the wheels of the universe in motion and then abandon it to run on its own. Instead, he enters into relationship with what he makes Providence focuses on God's activity in guiding the historical process with the goal of bringing to pass his intention for the world he created. We don't hear this as much anymore, but I don't know, 20 years ago or so, you heard it all the time. Remember people saying, it's a God thing? That's, that's in reference to providence. It's a God thing. There, were, there was this job opening, and 27 people applied, but I got the job. It's a God thing. And there, what that is, is the understanding of God moving and working in the midst of our day-to-day -day lives. So our understanding of the kingdom is this, that God is a supernatural God, and He is, in fact, working and moving, as Gren says, in the midst of creation, in the midst of our lives, in the midst of what's happening around us all the time. But he, he, in addition, with that, he's called and commissioned us to be participants in the process. We all know you don't just sit back. You know, I, I used to get frustrated with the bumper sticker, let go and let God. No, you don't just let go and let God. You participate with God in the process. You, you, you have to do the part that God's called you to do and trust him to do the part that he's going to do. Now, we see both of those dynamics happening in the book of Ruth. There's two verses in this entire book that indicate that God, the providence of God, moved upon circumstances to make things happen. In chapter 1, uh, Naomi heard in Moab that they had left, 
Bethlehem, that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. So what that verse says is that the famine that had happened, God ended it. He, he brought an end to the famine. And then later in chapter four, we'll see this, uh, which this is a spoiler alert. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. So it was also the Lord who allowed Ruth as a barren woman to be able to become pregnant and have a child. So those two verses are God's hand working. Everything else that happens in this entire book is God working in and through and with the people that are involved. Everything else that takes place takes place because people said yes to God. I just think that's such an important dynamic for us. I, I really, I, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of stepping out in faith and you know, sometimes we, you know, you, is, you hear God's voice, but you're not sure if it's God's voice. Anybody? Uh, is that me? Is that God? What is that? Is that my, my, you know, am I just wishing for something to happen or is that really God speaking? It's hard to know. And I think we sometimes have to just take a, take a step of faith and step out. I, I, when I was a young Christian, I struggled with that a little bit. How do you figure that out? How do you know? And I talked to uh, Bob Fulton, who was a, a pastor at our church, a dear friend of mine, just a guy who had so much wisdom. And he said, what I do sometimes is pray for no. If, if you think God's telling you to do something, just say, okay, Lord, I think this is you. Unless you stop me, I'm going to do it. And you move out. You just, it's a risk and you, you take, take a step of faith. I don't know if that's the full answer, but it's just the idea that we work together with God. Um, we take steps of faith, we trust him, and then, and then he works with us. So in relationship to what's happening, Here's the scene, okay? Boaz is winnowing the grain. So that's their, they have a, there's a thing. It's like a pitchfork, but it's, it's bigger. It's huge. And you take the grain and you throw it up in the air. With a big, you stab it and throw it up in the air. And the chaff blows away and the kernels of grain fall down. And that's how it's separated. So that's what he's doing. And it's hard work. You can imagine all day throwing these things up in the air. Uh, so at the end of that time, and I, I don't understand, there's so many things I would like to know. He, he's the landowner. <laughs> it's his property. He's got hired hands in the field. Why is he doing this? Why is he doing that part himself? I don't know, but he is. And at the end of the day, uh, he's tired. It's hard work, has dinner, has a little wine. And then the other thing I don't get is he goes to sleep in the threshing room. Why does he not go to bed? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't know. But he doesn't. He and I don't know if that. You know, I don't. Uh, there's no. I read commentaries about this. Is that was that the traditional thing to do? You stay there till the job's done or whatever. I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, but he did. And for whatever reason, it seems as though it was common because Naomi knew that he would be there. So she cooks up this little plan, and she shares it with Ruth. It's kind of a wild plan. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, uh, one of the themes, there, there's a couple themes in this book that are, that are so important. Kindness being one, but another is rest. There, there are two verses that talk about rest here. Um, in chapter one, uh, Naomi, I believe, said, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then... Uh, in chapter 3, it says, One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, 
I must find rest for you. Now, in the NIV translation, that says a home for you, but it's actually the same word as is translated rest. It really means rest, where you will be well provided for. And the idea of rest in the Hebrew there, that word is is kind of all-encompassing. It's not just rest from being tired. (coughs) It's security. It's peace. It is a home. It's a place where you know that you're going to be okay. And that's what she's that's what she's praying for. And I believe it's one of the underlying themes of this book. And uh, I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I just feel as though that's a word from God for us today. I felt like both what, what Abby, is that right? Abby shared and what Cindy shared um, were, were connected to that, that God really does... <coughs> I don't have COVID. I, I just have a dry throat. God, God does want his people. And, and when I say his people, I mean his people in general, but today specifically, I mean us, you. God, God wants us to be able to enter into his rest. Um, you know, I don't know about you. We talked about it before, but we are living in a time of high anxiety. Has anybody noticed that? Uh, we're still here today you know, wearing these masks because of, of this global pandemic that's happening. And there's frankly no end in sight. I don't know, you know, when will this ever go away? I don't know. Uh, in, in addition to that, you know, we've had tremendous social unrest in our, in our nation and in our city over the past several months. We're in the middle of what is, I could be wrong, but in my life, to my memory, the most contentious election cycle I've ever seen. I've never seen an election be be as just as harsh and rough as this. So all of these things are swirling around in the world and you kind of just go, what do we do? How do we get through all this? And I just, I just feel like God's word to us today is, you know, rest in me, rest in me. Just, just take a step back and allow me to be that place of peace, that home, that resting place, that presence of God, where you can, you can be who I've called you to be in the, all that stuff doesn't go away. It's still happening, but you can be in that place of rest with me. And I really think that's just kind of God's word to us this morning. And we'll pray about that in a minute, but back to Ruth, um, both Ruth uh, and Naomi have now experienced some measure of healing from the, the brokenness and the pain that they went through. Uh, there's a process going on. It's not completed yet. By the end of the book, we, we sort of see it completed. But there's a process of restoration happening. And I was reminded of something that John Wimber used to say. Might make a good chapter for a book if somebody would write it. Um, healing happens in the context of relationship. And, and w- one of the things I think is important for us here, just you know, together, is that we see with Ruth and Naomi, I really believe there's a, a reciprocity happening where they're bringing healing to one another at this point. Naomi, Naomi is bringing healing to Ruth, and Ruth is bringing healing to Naomi uh, as they walk through sort of these circumstances together. And then in addition to that now, Boaz comes into the picture. And I, I said last week, you know, there's a there's a, a tendency. Some of us might kind of look at Boaz as the savior. God, God is the is the savior. God is the hero of the story, and he uses people. But now, 
In addition to the relationship between these two women, there's a relationship of Boaz to both of them who is also bringing healing. So healing does happen in the context of relationship. And I just say that to us today to remind us that we need each other. In times like we're going through right now, uh, we need each other. There, 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 there can be, and, and I, I, I plead guilty, I'm the first one, uh, to kind of isolate and kind of just back off and just, you know, batten down the hatches, close the door, pull the blinds. You know, I, I've got an Amazon Prime account and I can order all the books I want and they'll be here tomorrow. Uh, and it's easy to do that. It's easy to just hide away. Um, but as much as we have to be cautious with, with everything happening right now. I used to encourage you by whatever means, you know, you use, whether it's online and, or whatever. I, I read this article the other day about Zoom fatigue. People are having Zoom fatigue. How many of you, anybody have Zoom fatigue? Yeah. If you, if you work in any, a lot of businesses, I mean, you, you have 8, 10, 12 Zoom meetings a week. I had one morning, it was a few weeks ago, I had three. I had nine to 10, 10 to 11, 11 to 12, back to back. It's like, woo. But my point is, use whatever you can to stay connected, even if it means Zoom fatigue. It's better than being alone. Um, where was I? Okay, I know. I want to get back. I want to talk about Naomi's plan for a minute. Okay. Uh, you know, when you read that, I don't know about you, I'm kind of going, hmm, ah, well, it's a little sneaky. Here's the thing. In analysis, I think it's, it's less provocative and less sneaky than it appears for a couple reasons. One is, in the ancient Near East, at this time, culturally, marriages would have been arranged. And they would have been arranged through the father. The father would arrange for his daughter to be married. Well, in this case, guess what? There's no father present. There's no, there's no father here. So what Naomi does, you know, is by default kind of takes on that role and as is the mother-in-law, but the only person in Ruth's life, she says, I'm going to take the role of the father and help put a marriage together. I believe this, and I do. I believe that this is completely above board, that Ruth showed tremendous kindness by committing herself to Naomi. And Naomi is now reciprocating that by saying, I want to make sure at such a time as I'm not here anymore that you're cared for. And she's doing that back for Ruth. Um, so I believe that's what's happening. What went on in the threshing room floor? I'm going to go with nothing. And, and for two reasons. One is that I believe the narrator of the story, the writer of the story, is giving us a full picture. He's telling us, or she, whoever wrote this, how things happen. So I think what is described to us is exactly what took place. The second reason is this, that both Ruth and Boaz have been described to us now as people of character. They both are followers of God. They both are practitioners of kindness. And so I don't believe that anybody took advantage of anybody else or anything like that. But in fact, that this was just a legitimate marriage proposal. <coughs> Another uh, point I want to make, we, we call this, we've been you know, referring to it as the gospel of Ruth. And I think this is another illustration of that because in the gospel accounts, Jesus changed the way that culture viewed women. 
It was a highly patriarchal society where women were sort of oppressed, uh, where Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. And he elevated women. He honored them. And you see that throughout the Gospels, whether it's Mary Magdalene, the, the woman at the well, um, the, you know, the Samaritan woman, his mother, all these different people. I think a very similar dynamic is happening here where God is moving through the lives of these women in a very profound way. You know, going back to the genealogy, so, so, so Naomi is, 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 you know, cooks up this plan for Ruth to get married. And her, in her mind, she's providing for Ruth's future, <clears throat> which is one thing. That's what she had in mind. She has no idea where that's going to end up, right? At the, the outcome of the genealogy that, that's in the line of Jesus, <laughs> you know, whether it not have happened, I don't know how that works, providence. But she, it's, it's, it's far greater than what she foresaw. And God uses her in that in a profound way. Uh, so again, Boaz doesn't want her to leave empty-handed. He's a man of valor, a man of honor, a man of generosity. So he provides grain again for Ruth to take home to Naomi. She goes home. Naomi's waiting, got to go. Uh, and Ruth reports back and kind of, and I love the end. Of, I love this story. It's so, it's, I, I wish, I don't know who wrote it. Who wrote it, man? It's so good. Because at the end of chapter three, it's like, wait and see. What's, what's going to happen next? We'll see what happens tomorrow. It's kind of like, I can't wait to read the next chapter. Um, so the plot thickens, right? Um, one more uh, little uh, Wimberism. This is two two Wimber quotes of today. So this is your bonus quote. Um, Faith is spelled R I S K. Uh, Ruth took a risk. She really did. I mean, this could have gone sideways really quick. Um, it was a big risk. She had to put her faith on the line in order to carry out this plan and do what she did. Uh, she had no no way of knowing how Boaz would really respond. Um, and I don't want to get ahead of the story, but uh, I just think that that's an important lesson for us to learn too. So here's in conclusion, and we'll wrap up three things I think that we can take away and kind of hang on to from this. One is that God will use whoever he will, okay? No one's outside of the ability to be used by God. Uh, it doesn't matter. Male, female, young, old, I don't care where you came from, what your background is, any, any of those sort of cultural, societal sort of breakdowns or divisions, doesn't matter. God will use who God chooses to use regardless. And God uses different people in this story. And if we just are willing to step out and say, yes, God will use us as well. Second thing is that referring back to providence, God is at work all the time. And God is at work when we see him and we feel him, you know, it's a God thing, but he's also at work at times when we don't see and feel him and we're kind of a little bit, you know, not uncertain of what's going to happen next. And I just say that again today, uh, you know, we may be feeling like what's going to happen next. And I'm, I'm certain that some of the things that are going on in the world leave some of us with feeling like, what is going to happen next? Do I, will I have a job tomorrow? Do I have a job today? How is this going to all play out? And, and I, I just want to say that God's at work. God's at work, and he's moving, and he's working. When we see him and when we don't, he's there all the time. I remember my thir third member quote of the day. I w this wasn't in my notes, but, but John used to say, the devil never takes a day off. But here's the thing. God never takes a day off either. So he's at work all the time. And then the third thing, the last thing is this. Uh, referring back to, to Ruth again, faith is a risk. Faith, faith really is a risk. If we want to see 
God move in through our lives. <coughs> Some, oh, sorry about that. Sometimes we have to step out in faith. We have to put our, she put her faith on the line and we have to put our faith on the line as well to see God move in the midst of things. So why don't you guys stand and we'll, we'll wrap up. I have no clue what time. Oh, look at that. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.